0: when the pandemic hit New York City last March, we were in the middle of a sermon series on Jesus' parables. And uh, there was one sermon in that series that I prepared but never preached. Since then, I've thought of that sermon as a kind of unclaimed gift voucher to uh, be used at the end of a particularly busy week, such as last week when Betsy and Solly and I moved to a, a new apartment So I hope you don't mind if we take a quick break from our sermon series on the final chapters of John's Gospel. We will return to that next Sunday. This Sunday's sermon is a one-off on Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And that is our second Bible reading now on page 10. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his his estate between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all his belongings and went on a journey to a distant land. There he squandered his property, living recklessly. When he had spent everything... The severe famine struck that whole land, and he began to be in need. He went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that land who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more bread than they can eat? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he arose and went to his father. When he was still a long distance away, his father saw him and his stomach churned with compassion he ran and threw his arms around his son's neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and clothe him in it, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's eat and rejoice, for this son of mine was dead." And has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. And they began to rejoice. Now his oldest son was out in the field. And as he came home and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the slaves and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he said to him. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's got him back safe and sound. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and appealed to him. But he answered his father, Look, I've served you as a slave for all these years, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might rejoice with my friends. But when this son of yours, who devoured your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him, Son, the father replied, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to rejoice and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it would help me if you could leave that page open, page 10, so we can keep looking at those verses during the sermon. Let's bow our heads now and pray for God to be powerfully at work among us through the preaching of his word. The writer of Psalm 43 cries out to God, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell, Father, we pray that you would send forth your light and your truth among us this morning. Please would they bring us nearer to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. One of the weightiest and most significant topics to think about or talk about or learn about is the character of God, the character of God of the creator of this world? What's he like? Your answer to that question will influence the way you live your life. If you're listening as a Christian, and that's probably most of us or all of us, it's hard to overestimate the importance of knowing what God is really like. When is he pleased? When is he grieved? Is he loving in a general detached kind of way? Or does he love his people on a personal basis? We need to know what God is like and this parable told by Jesus will fill us in. It's a story about a father and his two sons and the father in the story represents God. During the story, both of the sons make a mistake about what their father is like. They have a faulty view of his character, but in both cases the father shows his sons What, where they've misunderstood him and through that whole process we find out what the father in the parable is really like and by extension we find out what God is really like for the rest of this sermon we're going to look at the two sons and their mistakes starting with the younger son's mistake the mistake he makes about his character is that he thinks his father is unforgiving The younger son thinks his father is unforgiving. Now, there are twists and turns in the parable before the younger son's mistake shows up. And so we need to begin at the beginning. Please look down with me to verses 11 and 12. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his estate between them. It's breakfast, a breakfast like any other in that household. The rooster crowing outside, the sun streaming in, milk on the table still warm from the goats that were milked within the past hour. And there's freshly baked bread too, with dates and pomegranates on the side, along with some leftovers from last night's supper. The only thing out of the ordinary as the folks in the household eat and drink, is the behavior of the father's younger son. He seems to be working himself up to something. His leg is jiggling, and he doesn't take any part in the conversations going on around the table. After breakfast, the younger son approaches his father and asks if he can have a word with him in private. The father agrees, and they go to a room where no one will disturb them. The son's voice sounds strained and unnatural, as if he's forcing out the words of a speech he's already prepared. Father, he says, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. It sounded reasonable enough to the son when he practiced the speech beforehand, but judging by his father's shattered facial expression, it doesn't sound reasonable to him. It's true, as they both know. Sometimes fathers in that time and place will divide up their property before they die to stop disputes from happening after their death. But although occasionally a father might choose to do that, it's not something a son should demand from his father. As the younger son does in this case. It's an outrageous thing for the son to ask for. The son is effectively saying to his father, I would like to treat you as if you were dead. I want my inheritance now, even though you're still alive. So why don't we pretend you're already dead? The son's demand creates An instant chill in the room, but the father in his kindness agrees. It doesn't take long before the son says his farewells. He can't wait to get away. And he makes sure he gets far away. Verse 13 says he travels to a distant land. When he arrives at his chosen destination, things get off to a great start. He rents very pleasant rooms. They don't come cheap, but he's loaded. He doesn't need to worry about money. And he finds it surprisingly easy to make friends. Yes, of course he has to buy the drinks when they all get together, but he's loaded. That's what loaded people do, isn't it? He also finds his new friends expect him to loan them money when they ask for it. But that's what friends are for. He has plenty to spare to help them out. Somehow, though, the money does seem to be running out much faster than he thought it would. Not a big problem, though. His friends will pay back those loans sooner or later, won't they? How in the world can he can he be down to just a, a tenth of what he left home with after only a year or so since he went away? It's all so depressing. A big meal at the best tavern in town. That's the thing to cheer him up. His friends all crowd in. So good to see them. And they all look to him to buy the drinks as usual. He can't let them down, but the cost does add up. He sees that now. It's an expensive evening. He must stop going to that tavern. He must try to get his friends to repay their loans. But when he approaches them in the weeks that follow, they say the the time isn't quite right. They hope he won't mind waiting just a little bit longer before they pay him back. And then he sees he's only got enough money left for one month's rent and one month's food. He says to himself, I'll roll up my sleeves and work for a living, just like the next man. Time to find a job. But there's a problem. The rainy season came and went without rain and dust is blowing in clouds around the town where he lives. The harvest is thin and the price of bread rises and people can't afford to hire an extra labourer. Their money has to go on bread. Eventually he finds someone who says, I'll take you on. But the younger son's heart sinks when he finds out the man is a pig farmer because he's Jewish. He's not supposed to have anything to do with pigs. They're unclean. But well, what choice does he have? The man gives him a bench to sleep on. But he's so hungry, so hungry that even the pods guzzled by those unclean pigs start looking tempting in his eyes. If only I were one of those pigs, he thinks to himself, then I could fill my stomach. He finds himself looking back longingly to that breakfast on the day he asked for his inheritance, goat's milk. Bread puffing out steam when you break into it. Fresh fruit and leftovers from the previous night's meaty stew. So much food. There at the end of the long table, he can see them now. His father's hired men. Tucking into the food, eating their fill. They don't even finish what's left on their plates. He can almost hear one of those hired men saying, My eyes are too big for my stomach when someone asks him why he hasn't finished his food. Oh, if only, the younger son thinks. If only he could be one of his father's hired men. And then it hits him. Well, why not? Why not hire himself out to his own father? Of course, he thinks to himself, I can't expect to be forgiven. I can't expect my father to receive me as his son, not after I treated him as if he were dead. But maybe he'll let me work for him. Maybe he'll receive me on that basis as a worker, as a laborer, as a hired hand. And there, right there, is the mistake the younger son makes about his father's character. He thinks his father is unforgiving. How wrong he is to think that. Take a look at verse 20. So he arose and went to his father. When he was still a long distance away, his father saw him and his stomach churned with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his son's neck and kissed him. From then on, the father demonstrates forgiveness in every possible way. The younger son says in verse 21, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But in verse 24, the father tells his whole household, this son of mine was dead and has come back to life, come back to life. This son of mine, he says. The father calls for clothes and a ring for his son and sandals for his son's feet. He calls for the fattened calf to be killed and for everyone to eat and rejoice. The father in the parable offers forgiveness, restoring relationship, and that reveals his character And this father in the parable points us to God and his character. When we turn from our sinful rebellion against God, treating him as if he were dead, and when we come home to him, he forgives us and receives us into the relationship with him that we were made for. He receives us as his adopted sons and daughters. And God doesn't do it grudgingly, he does it with joy. If you're a Christian here today, I wonder, do you view God as your taskmaster, the hard-driving CEO you work for? Do you feel you have to prove your worth to him through your daily labours? That's not God, that's not his character. He didn't forgive you to take you on as a hired hand. Through Jesus, God forgave you so that you could live as his adopted child. We were made for that relationship. And when we turn back to him, he receives us into that father-child relationship. He doesn't call us to hired hand servitude. God's love is given, not earned. It's a gift, not a wage. Does the son in the parable have to work for any of the father's gifts? The clothes, the ring, the sandals, that sumptuous roast dinner in the son's honor? No. All the son has to do to receive those things is to come home. If you're a Christian who's been viewing God as your taskmaster, Remind yourself this morning that you've come home to the God who freely loves you as his child. In the words of Zechariah chapter 3 verse 17, which we heard in our first Bible reading, God takes great delight in you. Now, does God want you to live life righteously? Yes, of course. Like any father, God wants things to go well for his children And that means obeying his commands because God's commands are given for our good and the good of those around us. But our moral performance is not a stop-start lever on God's love for us. God's love is given, not earned. It's a gift, not a wage. If you're listening this morning, as someone who's not yet following Jesus, you're not yet a Christian, well, I wonder if you've understood God's character when it comes to forgiveness. Perhaps you think you've done too many wrong things for God to receive you and welcome you as his adopted son or daughter. Perhaps you think the best you could hope for is to serve God as his hired hand. Through this parable, Jesus is telling you you're mistaken about God's character. God is forgiving. His desire to forgive you is so great that he sent his son down from heaven to live as a man and die on a cross so that you could be forgiven. God has made it possible for you to come home to him. Why don't you do that today if you're someone who knows that you're lost? Come home to God be found. Pray to God. Father God, I am sorry for treating you as if you were dead. I want to come home to you. I believe in the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen. You could pray that simple prayer before the end of this morning's service. Here it is again. Father God, I'm sorry for treating you as if you were dead. I want to come home to you. I believe in the power of Jesus' death. And resurrection. Amen. Well, it's time for us to turn from the younger son to the older son. The younger son goes from famine to feast, but it's the other way around for the older son. Look where he stands at the end of the parable. He's outside, refusing to come into the feast. There's a feast going on inside. There's roast meat and dancing and rejoicing, but the older son won't come in. He's invited to a feast, but he chooses famine. Why is that? What's the explanation for that? In brief, like his brother, he makes a mistake about his father's character. But unlike his brother, when his father corrects that mistake, the older son refuses to listen. We're not told much about the older son. But the details we are given point to an impressive work ethic. Look at where he is when the party gets underway. Verse 25 says, Now the older son, his older son, was out in the field. He was still working. This is a man who puts in the hours. He gets the job done while others are slacking. By the time he comes home, the music and dancing are loud enough to be heard at a distance. asks someone to tell him what's going on and when he hears the explanation his world turns upside down please look down from verse 28 and i'll read from there the older brother was angry and refused to go in so his father came out and appealed to him but he answered his father look i've served you as a slave for all these years and i never disobeyed your command Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might rejoice with my friends. But when this son of yours, who devoured your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. We saw earlier that the younger son's mistake is to think that his father is unforgiving. That's why he plans to offer himself as a worker for hire. The older brother's mistake is to think that his father is unjust. He says that his father has rewarded a sinner while failing to reward a hard worker who actually deserves good things. In response, the father begins by correcting that mistake about his character. He hasn't been withholding good things from his older son. He says to him, son, you are always with me. This is verse 31. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The father isn't acting unjustly because he has always offered the good thing of his own presence, his own company, a loving relationship, along with other good things like fattened calves. Why hadn't the older son seen that? Because like the younger son, He'd assumed that his father's love had to be earned. The tragedy of the story is that, unlike the younger son, the older son is not pleased to discover that he's been wrong. He's not pleased to discover that his father's love is a gift, not a wage. At least there's no sign that he's pleased. The parable ends with the younger With the older son still outside the feast, and there's no indication that he chooses to come in. Notice that he can't even bring himself to call the younger son his brother. The man he summons back in verse 26 tells him, "Your brother is here." That's verse 27, where he says that. Later in verse 32, his father says to him, "This." brother of yours this brother of yours but the older son never calls the younger son brother instead instead he says to his father in verse 30 this son of yours it's very unlikely that his proud hostility towards the younger son will be broken down whatever the father might say, to try to persuade him. There's a feast on offer, but the older son chooses famine. What's the spiritual lesson for us to learn from the older son? Surely Jesus' point is that God's love is always given. It's always a gift, not a wage. We should never graduate from being the younger son to the older son. It's so easy for us to think in our hearts that the Christian life begins like that younger son, wrapped in his father's arms, forgiven, accepted, loved, hallelujah, but then God's love must be earned through burdensome obedience. We tend to think God offers love and forgiveness freely at the start before expecting us to earn his love through the hard work of obedience if that chimes with your innermost way of thinking about the Christian life, well, please apply the words of verse 31 to your heart. Son, the Father replied, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have that relationship with God, that verse 31 relationship with God. He is with you. All that is his is yours, including everlasting life in the glorious world to come. So don't graduate from being the younger son to the older son. We should never graduate from being a receiver to being an earner. When it comes to God's love. Jesus told this parable to Pharisees and scribes who were very proud of their hard-working efforts to earn God's favour. Like the oldest son, the Pharisees and scribes stayed away from a feast, the eternal banquet Jesus was offering them. Why? Because just like the older son, they couldn't bear to see sinners enjoying God's forgiveness and love. They preferred to look down on sinners instead of treating them as brothers. Proud people end up famished instead of feasting. Don't choose the famine of pride, choose the feast of unearned relationship with God, unearned loving relationship with God. His love is given, not earned, it is a gift. Not a wage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for showing us your character through this parable told by your son Jesus. Father, when we find ourselves thinking that your love must be earned, please remind us that because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his death and resurrection, You are always with us, and all that is yours is ours. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful truth. Amen.